Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm a feminist, but I quite enjoy ironing. <laughs> I quite like it. I find it soothing because I don't actually have to do it. But what I really like about it is once I've ironed the ironing board for long enough, the cats come and sit on it. <laughs> it's like they view it as me just warming up their little oh. seat. It's, re- it's adorable. So it becomes a laptop for them. Yeah, they just they love it. you've got a cat sit on your laptop because it's warm. Yeah. And there's that really sweet, you know, the Icon has cheeseburger thing where there's a little cat on a laptop and the cat's saying... If not for sits, why made of warm? Adorable. Feminism and cat loving are so closely connected. Errol Cat. Errol Cat used to. um, I always. I thought too that there should be like a. um, I I liked the feminist version of The Bachelor, and it would be called The Spinster, and it would just be twelve women competing for the love of a cat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in for that. I'll be a contestant. The only, the only bad thing is about when that, because the cats now know that the ironing board is like the warm place to sit, is that if I'm ironing a dress, they will get inside the dress at the bottom and just kind of swing Ooh, like, a, like they're in a, a hand-warmed hammock or something. It's a little bit irritating. Dangerous. Dangerous for everybody. I'm a feminist, but I said to the tour producer last night in Melbourne, look, there's an exhibition at ACCA, which is the Australian Centre for Creative Arts, Contemporary Arts. All arts are creative. It's quite a long title, isn't it? (laughs) There's an exhibition at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art, the art museum next door to this very lovely theatre, called Unfinished Business, Perspective on Art and Feminism. And I said, look, God, that's amazing. It's right there. I should go to that. And he said, yeah, but you won't, will you? And I said, no, you're right, I won't. (laughs) 
it shuts at five and I don't have to be here till six. So I'd have to get here really early. <sighs> Maybe you could just get someone to tell you about it. Like, is there anyone here that's been go, to it? I would, I, oh, there. What's it I, like? <laughs> Speechless. I'm a feminist, but sometimes I wish I was a dude just so I could wee off a balcony. <laughs> it just, I, I saw my friend's husband do it at New Year and it just looked really fun. And I was like, yeah, I could wee off a balcony, but it's kind of the aftermath that I'm not so good with. Like, it's just a bit sort of messy. Ah, yeah. oh, I can't hold her captain. Like, cis, you know. cis men do have a super advantage on that yeah. kind of thing. It's one of the only things that makes me think there is a God and he's a man. Maybe I just need to get a shiwi or something. Like, I just, uh, or like an icing piper or something. <laughs> Obviously, I wouldn't use it again, but it's kind of a bit weird. I mean, you could make lovely patterns. <laughs> Different shaped nozzles, so you could have... No, that doesn't work at all. I'm a feminist, but when a friend tonight said he'd seen audience members walking out of feminist and African-American power film, Black Panther. He'd seen them walking out in it. I said, well, hopefully their babysitter texted to say their child had died, because that's the only reason you should walk out of a film like that. And then I thought, that's probably not okay to say, and it's really not feminist. Yeah, and do you think you would text to news like that, or do you think that's worth a call? A friend of mine came to the show in LA. She's actually quite a famous actress. And she was sitting there and she said afterwards, she said, I was enjoying the show so much. I glanced down at the phone and the babysitter had texted, child's name, let's say it was Tina, wasn't. Um, (laughs) Tina is dead. And she said, I thought, oh, that must be a typo. Because she said, I didn't want to go. So I just thought, probably not. She said, I was so into the show. She said, afterwards, I looked down and it actually said, Tina is in bed. (laughs) But she said, I'd misread it and thought, that can't be right. I would love to be that relaxed as a parent. Like, because I'm I'm the opposite. Like, if my husband hasn't texted me back within 10 minutes, I'm like, well, he is dead. He's gone. Like, no more husband. Is there a tiny bit of relief as you feel free? Like, there's a part of every married person where you do think, I mean, it would be a new chapter. I feel, I feel this really ties in with your mindset of, like, the only reason you'd walk out of Black Panther would be if your child had died. And you're like, well, if your husband did die, fresh start. Yeah. My husband edits this podcast, so this will end up very much on the cutting room floor. <laughs> This is just for us in this room to enjoy. He's not putting that out there. I'm telling you that for nothing. Or if he does, it'll be in that bit at the end where he does a blooper at the end. It'll be there. I'm telling you that right now for nothing. It's just the sound of him sobbing quietly underneath. (laughs) But I love you, Deborah. That's what it would be. Uh, I'm a feminist, but the other day at the airport when my husband let me wheel my own heavy suitcase, I was a bit like, hey, lift your game. (laughs) And my suitcase... To be fair, he was holding his own backpack and our son's backpack, but I was still like, but I'm tiny. (laughs) But then I, this is the same, you know, when we first got together, like, (laughs) I put my back out trying to prove that I could carry a chest of drawers by myself. So it's not like I need to prove anything to him. No, I'm a feminist. But just before the show, Cal said, let's all go backstage and put our makeup on. And I said, my makeup is on. (laughs) And Celia Pacola was there, and she said, 
oh, no, you look fresh, like you've come out of a dojo. <laughs> or a gazebo. And I went backstage and put on lots more makeup. <laughs> from the Malt House in Melbourne, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminists with me, Deborah Francis-White, and guest co-host Hal Wilson, and very special guest, Celia Papona, talking about criticism. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. Today we are talking about criticism. I mean, yeah, I know, it's terrifying. As feminists, when can we be criticised? By whom? When can we give criticism? When is criticism stultifying? When is criticism motivating? When is criticism necessary? When does it get us to change? When does it get us to fail? Why do we hate it so fucking much? Why is it so painful? Why does any tiny little minimal criticism just make us go... Is it because we criticise so much as children because of the patriarchy, because it hates femme people and non-binary people and it, do, it wants us to conform into the binary and therefore we're so used to patriarchal criticism that when we get some actual valid criticism sorts that we should be taking on board, it just makes us feel like we're being criticised as children again and then we just can't... We just can't. Is Deborah, Deborah is just replaying the conversation we had this afternoon when I said, are you going to wear that top? <laughs> What's happening? That's what's happening. That's what's happening. No, I'll tell it's, you. It is confronting, though, isn't it? Criticism, mm. especially if it's your mum. <laughs> but they don't mean it. They mean it in a loving way. They mean it in a loving way. My mum, who is a delightful creature, she is so beautiful and the mummiest of the mums in my friend circle. She once said to me when I get my ears pierced for the second time, oh, "It makes you look like a slut." Um, <laughs> Which I didn't think it did, but apparently so. But also, there's nothing wrong with being a slut. No. That's what, that should have been your comeback. I mean, the thing is, when you're 14 and you say to your mum, there's nothing wrong with being a slut, she doesn't... Also, I don't think we'd got to that point then where slut no. was not a pejorative and had been reclaimed. No, it wasn't. It all. was a different era when just slut equaled bad and we felt bad about yeah, ourselves when we were called one. It equaled having four holes in your ears and not two. That's what it meant. I think what it was is you were creating extra orifices and that's what she didn't like. It's true. That's what it is. Piercings are orifices and they make your mother nervous. She doesn't like the orifices you have and would gladly sew those up. She doesn't want extra orifices. You've made my mum sound a bit weirder than she is. No, no. Uh, I just think... I just think mothers in general with teenage daughters, obviously now there are a lot of enlightened mothers who are just like, you're a sexual being Slut and I understand it up, that. darling. <laughs> and hopefully, if I were a mother of a teenage daughter, I would be saying, I wouldn't be saying slut it up, darling. I think that's a bit much. But I think I would be saying there's no such thing as a slut and... Oh, it's like Santa. Like, <laughs> like we've been told. We've been told that there's this mythical creature called a slut that comes all the time. your mum <laughs> that that was a I did, that was a perfect punchline to a joke that none of us the setup was so good we weren't expecting a punchline oh and you provided one that's going that in me show oh that is a piece of spontaneous if, if, if comedy only, if only we were recording this 
guys been following Douglas High? <laughs> no. Okay. Terrible shooting in America, and the Douglas High students basically have said this is going to be the last mass shooting at a school, and uh, we are going to get assault rifles banned. And I mean, they've been called snowflakes. They've been criticised massively, uh, and they've been called snowflakes. How anyone could call a teenager who's just been in a traumatic mass shooting where their friends have died and is happy to get on a plane or a coach and go to Washington, demand an audience with the president and speak passionately and powerfully about this experience, which they, you know, they must have post-traumatic stress disorder during this time and speak so powerfully and actually make meaningful change. A snowflake is extraordinary to me. But the most extraordinary criticism is uh, the conspiracy theories. Um, have you heard about this? Yeah. Uh, so some people are saying they're actors. Um, yeah, that they're actors and they've been hired to pretend to be high school students. NRA people uh, are saying they're not real students, obviously. They're too articulate. Uh, they're, they're too good at this. They've been media trained. They're obviously just like 25-year-old out-of-work actors on Broadway who are like, have been auditioning for a while. Nothing's really worked out. And they're like, I look pretty young. I think I could play a traumatized student who has been through a mass shooting and I could go to Washington. And this is the conspiracy theory that's currently going around. And some of the responses from the students have been excellent. My favorite was... If you'd seen me in my high school production of Fiddler on the Roof, you would not think that I was an actor up to this task. I've got video. Tradition. Um, so I was thinking about this and I was thinking about conspiracy theorists because they are critics of something they have to invent. So they invent the thing they're criticizing. So it's like going to a Broadway show, inventing a whole other Broadway show and critiquing that Broadway show. <laughs> and I was thinking about my favorite conspiracy theory, which is the 9-11 conspiracy theorists. Do you guys know about the 9-11 conspiracy theories? <laughs> so that there were actually bombs in the base of the World Trade Center. And that's what really brought it down. And I always think... Because people work backwards and they go, oh, but a building wouldn't fall that way. Oh, but a plane wouldn't crash that way. Oh, but it would be too difficult to see the plane into the building. Oh, but why is there this on the ground? And I, I sort of think they never really step back and go, how did this begin? So I sort of have imagined, I always imagine in my mind, the young PR guys that must have gone to George W. Bush, who they believe was the one who started this false flag attack, because that's what the conspiracy theorists say. They say, look, George Bush needed an, an excuse to evade, invade Afghanistan and Iraq, so he created a false flag attack. In other words, he wanted a Middle Eastern country to attack America so that he had the justification to do it. And I think, I can, I can see that. I can see George Bush wanting that, and I can see how it would begin. But then, like, I just imagine, like, you'd have to hire some creatives to do it, to come up with the ideas. And I just always imagine the young PR guys who were sent into the Oval Office to pitch. Because there must have been those, if that's the case. And I just imagine them going in and going, okay, um, Mr. President, we've got an idea. We know you want a spectacular false flag attack. You need something where people say, this is unequivocal, this is the worst thing that's ever happened in America, it's got to be spectacular. Can't just be the same old, same old things we've seen before. So we're thinking planes into buildings. 
amazing, spectacular, you, you know, you're going to have, it's, the footage for CNN is going to be incredible. And George Bush going, yeah, I like it, I like it, good, good, that's spectacular, certainly, yes, great. Okay, but this is the best part. Um, we're not sure what damage the planes are going to do to the buildings, so we'd like to put bombs <laughs> at the foot of the building, just to make sure it's really, you know, something else. We don't want to be giving you what some of the other PR agencies are going to be offering you, which is kind of ordinary. We want to make sure this goes up. Okay, great. So, so people are going to think the terrorists did planes and bombs. No, no, that's the beauty of this. The bombs are secret. What? Why, why are the bombs secret? They've just got to be secret. So people think that the planes did all the damage, but really the planes did half the damage and the bombs did the rest of the damage. But everyone's got to think the planes did all the damage. Okay, guys, guys, this is too complicated now. This is, there's no need for secret bombs. Like, let's just do the planes thing. It's easy, it's simple. Whatever damage they do, I feel it's going to be enough that people are going to go, that was really bad. No, no, Mr. President, you need the bombs. Okay, well, in that case, the bombs need to be bombs. Like, we need to say, hey, there were planes, there were bombs. They did both. No, no, the bombs need to be secret. Okay, guys, the thing with bombs, it's really hard to do them secretly because they're bombs. It's really fucking obvious when they go off, guys. There's no need to make the bombs secret. If you want to do bombs, I'm down with bombs. I'm down with planes, I'm down with bombs, but I don't want to do the bombs secretly. It's too much of a chance it's going to come out. People are going to be like, but I saw a bomb go off. <laughs> Mr. President, it's very key to our plan and to our branding agency that these bombs be secret. We need people to think the planes did all the work, even though the bombs did half the work. Why, guys? Why? You're just fucking with my head. Why? Why is this important to you? It's just important, sir. Just trust us on this one. We're the experts. You're just a president. We do PR. And then, at this point, he goes, all right. All right, fine. If it's so important to you and you really think you can make the bomb secret, fine. So we'll just have these passenger planes go into buildings. Yes, but not the planes, not the planes that you think they are. What? We'll tell people they're passenger planes, but really we're going to send military planes into the buildings. It's too difficult to send passenger planes into buildings. We're gonna send military planes into the buildings. Why don't we just send the military planes into the buildings and say they've been hijacked? No! <laughs> Passenger planes. It's got to look like passenger. Well, where are you going? What are you going to do with the passenger planes? We're going to land them on an island off Hawaii and pay the people to live there forever and just not tell anyone. Guys, this is the plot of Lost. This is too complicated, Mr. President. Let us do our job. We're going to scatter some random passports around of people who we want everyone to think are the terrorists, just, well, won't it look really bad if there's just like a full passport there? Like, surely that's gonna look wrong. No, it's gonna look right. And then we're gonna fly, well, we're gonna make it look like we've flown a plane into the Pentagon, right? But there's gonna be no plane at all. No plane at all? Why don't we just fly a plane into the Pentagon? Because we want to use our holograms. <laughs> genuinely that is genuinely the conspiracy theory 
hologram planes. <laughs> Just fly a plane in, guys. I'm the president. I don't want hologram planes. We've got some new technology we really want to try it out, Mr. President. Stick with us on this one. All right, you seem to know what you're doing. What I love about the response to Douglas High is how incredible these teenagers really are. I just want to read you some of the responses. This is from Sarah Chadwick. She says, we should change the names of AR-15s to Marco Rubio because they are so easy to buy. <laughs> and Jacqueline Corrin, who says, you're missing the point. This is Twitter, by the way, if that's not clear. Uh, he says, you're missing the point. We don't want to take away your guns. We just want to prevent Americans from owning assault weapons and to tighten the methods at which a person can purchase a firearm. Sorry, at NRA, the children are winning. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> um, their incredible and consistent response is just phenomenal to watch. And it, they really give me hope that the future of this world is in good hands if we can just get it to them, if we can get it to this next generation who are inclusive, who do understand gender fluidity, who do understand that something like America being owned by the NRA is destroying their generation and are taking back that power, who are like so feminist in their intent, so socialist in their intent, I really feel they're going to turn it around. But we've just, as this sort of middle generation, got to wrangle it so that they just get it. We've got to find a way to sustain the world as it stands without some terrible, terrible thing happening in terms of you know, war or climate change. Because if we do, it's going to be in the hands of people like Cameron Kasky, uh, who says, David Hogg, who was accused of being an actor, who was accused of being one of these out-of-work drama students, David Hogg is smart, funny, and diligent, he says in defense of his friend who survived the shooting and went to Washington, D.C. He is smart, funny, and diligent. But my favorite thing about him is undoubtedly that he's actually a 26-year-old felon from California. <laughs> Thank you very much. It really, it really feels like a moment, doesn't it? Like, with these kids, how they've taken control of their own story. Like, the way that they're not letting people at the NRA or, or other people who are saying that they're making this up, they're telling their own story and they're being so courageous yeah. and so... And they're just not backing down. No. They're just saying, we're going to keep going. And the things that they've done include, just so that you know, uh, what they've managed to achieve in a short period of time. I saw this on um, Facebook today. In just nine days, students have pushed for a CNN town hall, forced Rubio commitments squeezed the president to propose a bump stock ban, and that's a device that makes more bullets come out of an already terrifying gun, pressured advertisers to stop funding the NRA, crowdsourced millions of dollars for a march. They've done more in nine days than politicians have been able to do in years. Direct action is the way forward. We can convince politicians to do what we want if they think they're going to lose power. The more we go to Number 10 or the White House or Canberra and say, you work for us. We don't want this. You have to change or you will lose power. The more we do that, what they want is to continue power. So the more it becomes clear that the segment of society that they're underrepresenting or that they're marginalizing will vote 
you know, if you are a young person, a person of color, a trans person, uh, you, we need to get everybody voting and everyone vocal that they're voting and allies saying, I as a cis person will not vote for you if you don't legislate on behalf of my trans sisters and brothers. That's what we need to be saying. Because some segments of society, you know, if you're a minority ethnic person, you're a minority. And that's why you don't get legislation for you. So the majority has to step up and ally hard and say what, how you legislate for my friends will affect my vote. Because it's not going to change until we start doing that, until we start letting them know. Our guest today is an award-winning stand-up comedian, an award-winning actor, multi-multi-award. She's got more awards than anybody except George Clooney. Um, and the co-creator of the television show, Rosehaven. Please welcome to the stage the wonderful Stella Pagola! Nice. I meant the dojo thing as a compliment. I don't really, I'm not sure that I entirely know what it is. Uh, dojo is a karate yeah, uh, see? house. Do, okay. I, do, I, do I look like I'm, I wax on, wax off? You've got a kind of kimono vibe. Mm. Yeah. So oh, yeah, I'm rocking a dojo look. But it is a compliment because she's saying that you've come out of a dojo and you look fresh, like you've just totally wiped out maybe, I don't know, oh. 40 or 50 dudes Kill Bill style. Oh, well. maybe I've been fighting uh, men's rights activists. Yes, probably. Just flipping. Knowing you, I'd say, yeah, probably. Flipping them Pretty over good. my shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In reality, I have no suffragitsu. Um, <laughs> Did you just come up with that? That was very good. Yeah. Thinking about criticism because you told me this afternoon that's mm. what we're going to be talking about. And I've realised that I actually have a very special skill to hear everything as criticism. Oh. <laughs> even you know? things that aren't criticism. Yeah, just you looking at me right now is like... I'm sorry. <laughs> judgmental glare. <laughs> but it's not, but there was a warm embrace. No, I, no it's not you. It's very much so me. So what, what sort of examples? Like, I think it might have started... Uh, I went to an old girls' high school. Oh, uh, that'll do it. Um, Explain no more. Well, this is, this is a very old joke, but just for context, I went to an all-girls high school. Um, the number one most commonly used phrase in any all-girls high school is, behind my back. <laughs> and the second most common is, right to my face. <laughs> so, it was like, and it was, you could never tell. Like, oh, genuinely, it was a life, a life. It was five years, but when you're there, it's like, oh, yeah. a, you know, a lifetime of people saying things like, I love your outfit. And you're like, do you or not? I can't tell. Like, you don't. The sarcasm. So I think I grew up never actually knowing what was a well, real compliment and what's a veiled sort of insult. And um, I always have a, a way of pulling an insult out of a compliment. Yeah. Well, I think women are so criticised. Like, every billboard criticises us. It's an implied criticism, isn't it? Every time you see a woman on a billboard who is smooth yeah, and so toned. Is this you? Nah, you suck. <laughs> it's basically what it says. <laughs> But Why isn't it, it you? Could be you, you suck. But you haven't bothered for it to be you. I went into this big venue that we use for the Guilty Feminist in London, which is sort of like also lots of chamber orchestras are there and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they have these huge billboards out the front of uh, whoever's on. And often it's like famous celloists and stuff who I don't know because I don't know famous celloists, but I can tell Oh, don't you? We all do. I can, I can tell they're famous because there's billboards of them. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes there's comedians and stuff. And one day I walked in and I didn't know that I was going to be on the billboard. And it was a photo of me, like from a photo shoot where I'd borrowed this big feather hat. I don't know if anyone's seen oh, the picture, yeah, but it's usual. like, the, it's the like wings. Yeah. And I was standing there like posed with my hands on my hips. And it was from, the shot's probably a year old, and I was doing a lot of yoga at the time, so I think I was tighter. 
I was tighter. I was more toned and I was tighter. Also, my hair was all kind of cute and I looked really fierce and I walked under it and I was with my goddaughter and she said, oh, let's get a picture in front of it. Or I did, I can't remember, one of us. And <laughs> one of us wanted a picture in front of the poster of me. And then, so I looked at the picture of me with my goddaughter in front of the poster and I thought, I don't look as good as that. Oh my and God. I was are comparing you, myself to my own billboard. telling me that even when it's you, it's yes. unrealistic? Yes. Come on! Yes, that's what, what I'm telling you. I was telling you that after that, every time oh, I walked into that building, goodness. I scurried in because I realised I couldn't live up to my own billboard. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's true, though. Nobody on a billboard looks like the billboard because yeah. it's you in the best lighting. Like, it mm. wasn't photoshopped. I mean, it was probably a bit because it was huge and otherwise your paws look like mountains. But <laughs> it wasn't unrealistically photoshopped. It wasn't like they'd chopped half my hips off. They were still big. But it was... You know, you're in beautiful lights, beautiful makeup, and I was just looking at it going, I will never be that really. I'll only be that in that shot. And then I realized, like, every time I saw a billboard, I imagined the real person standing underneath it going, but they photoshopped out my celluline. Or, but all the clothes were pegged in at the back. Do I was in pain. That. There'd be so many people walking past that guy. You, I'm sorry. You probably make a lot of women feel really bad about themselves as well. <laughs> I mean that as a compliment. Like, I've seen that photo and it's super hot and, like, it intimidates me. I'd see that and be like, look I'm at this feminist. chick, if only I was this woman. I'm a, I'm a feminist, but my billboard makes other women feel bad about Maybe. themselves. <laughs> I didn't Maybe. ask for the billboard, though. I didn't ask for the billboard. Uh, and, also, and also, I think I'm allowed because I'm not in that bracket of super attractive. Do you know what I mean? Okay, this is dangerous territory. No, Sorry. but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not like petite and blonde and like I don't know what things. See, this is the other thing I was going to get to. Is that it's the self criticism. We find a way. Yes. Even yeah. this, yes. I, I was starting from a place of I've seen that photo and it's hot and you're gorgeous. Sure, and but that you know what I mean. I absolutely know. I'm what not you mean. like a size six. Like I don't know. There's a vision that I have of what the stereotypical attractive woman is, and it isn't me. But That's true, though. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, poor me. I like the way I look, but I don't think I'm objective. This is therapy, isn't it? <laughs> I, I should stop. I should stop. I, but I, I'm not objectively hot. Well, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, no, I think, but, but no, also, I'm not. I'm, I'm, not. I'm stuck. I can, get, I can look that way if somebody, if I have a team of people around me <laughs> judging me, anyone can look A-list if you're judged by the right people. Oh, that's it's true. Just, it's grooming. It's just oh, grooming. It's totally yeah. grooming. It's totally grooming. So, yes, if you groom me, don't though, do that. <laughs> anybody, I think that's anybody though. I still feel I'm allowed a billboard because I don't conform to a stereotype. What I'm stuck back at is you saying my billboard makes all the women feel shit. So, but I'm like, my billboard, billboard makes, makes all the women feel, feel shit. shit. <laughs> and I don't think it does. I sort of said that in a way that maybe it'd make us feel better when we see those billboards of people we don't know that seem so unrealistic and think of that woman's got mm. everything that I don't got. That woman thinks she's wonderful. How could she not? Look how gorgeous she is and the thought of that woman walking past her own billboard and going oh I can't even live up yeah, to that. Yeah that's what I do now I imagine whenever I see like a bus stop I imagine the real woman standing next to it and I imagine how she looks with no makeup in normal light or even if I'm feeling you know like I need extra help under iridescent <laughs> lights like oh. under those <laughs> under fitting room lights I think no this is how she looks and this is how she feels that billboard is a lie to everyone including her and it really helps me because I find billboards to be criticism, and that's ridiculous, but it is true. Yeah, it's yeah. just what, you know, and then we're discouraged by the patriarchy from leadership roles. We're constantly told, every time I see an all-male panel or an all-male panel with one woman on the end who's being edged out, that's a criticism. It's a criticism of women in general that we shouldn't be on panels. Yeah, I guess just in my mind, because of our line of work, the criticism is 
a lot more personal. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Specific. Sure. I know, but, but, but just thinking, as you say that, I'm in like, general. Yeah. Well, actually, this was my challenge this week, and I want to get it off my chest. I did a show somewhere on this tour I, where I was only doing one night, and I thought I had booked for the guests a group of women who are incredibly diverse, and then we realised I was only in town for one night, and that night they happened not to be there. And so we didn't have a guest. And it was really hard to find a guest or a co-host because everyone shows are on at the same time at this particular place. So we found a brilliant co-host who was able to fly in and we found a brilliant guest who was on the fringe. And it was a really, really, really good fun show. And afterwards, there was a review, which I never look at my reviews, but someone had added the reviewer saying, no, 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 look at the history of the podcast. They do do a lot of diversity. And so then I kind of had to click. And the reviewer had said two things. One is, I looked around, and basically, virtually everyone in the audience was white, middle class, and straight. And this is because Deborah is drawing those people to her because her podcast is all about white, straight, middle class women, and it's all from their point of view. They were all referring to their husbands, and they were all referring to having businesses and that kind of thing. And so it will fall far from the mark if you're not in that category. And I got really, really upset because... I felt, firstly, she was reviewing the audience, and I thought, you look around that audience, you don't know who's straight, unless you're imposing your ideas of sexuality and gender expression on people. You don't know who's indigenous, just because somebody has pale skin doesn't mean that they're, they're white or Caucasian. I'm living with someone who's Syrian, who's very pale, and he says he has white privilege. You know, you don't know that. You certainly don't know who's middle class unless you're going, oh, working class people don't dress as well or something, some implication that you have in your mind. You don't know who's disabled. Just because someone's not in a wheelchair doesn't mean they're not disabled. So I got really angry. And I also got really angry because I feel like my commitment is over the course of the show of available seats, i.e. my seat is not available. Um, (laughs) It's not. Too bad. Uh, It's my show. Uh, But of available seats, over half of them need to be sat in by people who are not white, straight, middle class. But I don't want to also close down voices of amazing women who are out there doing their thing because they're not in that category. I just need over half of those seats. And recently someone called me on it and said, what's your diversity in blah, 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 blah. And I counted it up and we'd hit 70%, which I thought was really good. I mean, for comedy, it's incredible. But... No, no, don't applaud me for it. Don't applaud me for it. But it is, I thought it was really good. And so when she said, oh, you've basically created an audience in your own image because all you ever do is, I thought you could have just clicked on the thing and seen our previous episodes and seen who was there. I don't mind the comment, given the diversity of the show, this one was particularly white and straight. It wasn't actually fully middle class, I wouldn't say. I don't mind someone saying, I found this disappointingly homogenous, given that. But she basically had made a decision And I got so upset and I handled it incredibly badly. I was hormonal and I was jet lagged. I did not know I was hormonal because I still don't know when my period is coming. (laughs) I figured out why that is. Why? I think it's because, yeah, it's the same. Every month I'm like, what is this? I think it's because I hate it so much that every time it finishes, I go, phew, glad that's never happening again. Yes. (laughs) Yes. like you've ordered something online and then it's like between five and seven business days like that for me is like it's just going to arrive at some point in the next couple of weeks like that's always where I'm at it surprises me every time and I was so hormonal and I was jet lagged so I immediately tweeted the reviewer and said something like you can review me but don't review my audience you don't know who they are and that's your unconscious bias but I also said 
we're really working to include, and this review will exclude because some people will read it and go, oh, this isn't for me then. And then they won't hear Desiree Birch and Susan McCormer and whoever else is on that week, Hannah Gadsby or whatever. They're not going to hear those people because you've made an act of exclusion when we're trying to include. And she said, I'm sorry if you feel it was misrepresentative, please address everything else to the editor. And I wrote to the editor and the editor said, well, we're not changing it because she has a PhD in gender studies focusing on intersectionality. And I thought, well, then please don't send it to the review comedy shows because... <laughs> I'm not saying, hashtag not all doctors, but... <laughs> I'm sure there are some PhDs of intersectionality See, that have great sense this, of humour. This is my main thing. This is this is my main thing with criticism in terms of whether I take it on board or not and whether I give it. It's two questions. It's who am I and who are you? Like I'm not gonna review go and go, that light's fucked. Because I don't know shit about lights. But if it's something that I know about, yes. So that so I feel like it, if it's somewhat yeah. yeah so but, like, there was another situation in the same place that you're referring to where the um, lights very good by the way. Friends of Friends and I were doing a drag show in a caravan, so it's three uh, beautiful men being nanas in a caravan, and the publication sent a 20-year-old homophobe to review the show. Oh, that's and the I don't thing. know, I don't, spoiler, he didn't like it. <laughs> I mean, but anyway, I thought about it, and I wrote another email saying, well, at least retract the part, because they just said no, and I said, retract the part about the audience, or just say at the bottom, an asterisk that says, we do not know the demographic. Also, you don't know the demographic compared to what that town normally gets, compared to who comes to the fringe, and you don't know how many queer people were there. You just don't fucking know, so please don't say that. But they didn't respond to my further emails, and she didn't respond to any further tweets. Now, I thought about it later, and I calmed down, and I thought, here's the thing. I was so indignant, and I was so put out, because I felt like lately I've really been trying more and more to centre women of colour, queer women, and I felt really put out because I thought, I'm trying, why are you attacking me? Why don't you attack someone who doesn't try, like, men? <laughs> there are fucking millions of cis men at that Fringe Festival doing shows called Boys, 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 Boys All The Time. And, <laughs> and nobody, I like that shows, it needed more boys. Nobody comes up and says they're not fucking intersectional. And I got really upset, and then I just thought about it, and I thought, do you know why my show is intersectional? Criticism. When we started, we were pretty white and straight. And people wrote in and said, hey, pretty white and straight. <laughs> and we said things like, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. And then someone wrote in and went, I'm non-binary, and that makes me feel excluded. And I was like, okay, that's... <laughs> and every single time we got a piece of criticism, we changed. So the only reason that this show is so intersectional, or I'm doing Suffragettan, or anything in Calais, it's because of criticism. I didn't know any of this shit two years ago. Not shit, shouldn't say that. I didn't know any of these things two years ago. <laughs> I didn't. I owe criticism every single thing I'm doing. Everything. It's the only reason I'm doing anything good in the world. Criticism. So I owe it a lot more than it owes me. So one shitty review from someone who didn't understand what we were doing who I reckon, and you know what, I reckon if she heard the rest of the episodes, and what I should have done is write back and go, hey, I'm sorry that you didn't enjoy this episode, but I reckon you'd really enjoy the one about Handmaid's Tale, and I think you'd really love the one about Minefields, and I really would love to direct you to some of those, and if you feel that actually your audience, you know, would enjoy some of those, maybe you could add a little addendum that says, hey, there are some other episodes that I feel are better, are better representative. And if you don't, then that's absolutely fine. That's what I should have said. And I, so my new, my new feeling is, <laughs> I have to give myself 48 hours to respond. <laughs> 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 
always, and this is a policy in life, yeah. there's always another chance to break up with a bad boyfriend, but there's not always another chance to get back together with that person. So you should, no, you should break up with a bad boyfriend. That's not right. Yes. There's, there's, always another chance to, there's always another chance to write an angry email. There's not always a chance to take an angry email back. So now I have to write and apologise. <laughs> so, so you're saying uh, when someone gives you criticism, you have to wait for 48 hours. Yeah. What if it's face to face? You just stand there for two days. Get some supplies. Just always carry a backpack full of bag beans. Just wherever you go. If it's my mother saying, why is your hair at that in-between length again? <laughs> I will just be like, I'll set the time. <laughs> it's hard. I do think it's important. The good thing to try and make take good things out of criticism like that, mm. and also trying to do using it to inspire you rather than because we get reviewed. I worry that it will make me too safe to take risks because I don't want people to say something yeah. they won't like it. Like this show in particular, my show this year is the first time where I think there'll be people who really will like it, and I think there's going to be people who will come knowing me from other things who really won't like it at all. But I'm doing it anyway. Um, other good things I think can come out of it is you can use it as an inspirational thing to get stuff done, not reviews in particular, but. 2017, I had a motto rather than a resolution, and this was the only way I could get anything done. My motto for 2017 was, you'll see, you'll all see. <laughs> and it, it made me go to the gym, it made just a spike, just look in the mirror like, I'm gonna show all you haters, I'm, you're gonna get it. And my backup motto was, fuck me, fuck you. <laughs> So, so can I suggest a positive yeah. version of that, which is, don't believe me, just watch. Oh. <laughs> that would be my one, because yeah. I think it's sort of got a more of an upbeat tempo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort yeah, of yeah, like yeah, a positive yeah. version. Yeah, yeah but yeah. at the same time, your billboard makes all the women feel shit. Women feel shit. <laughs> <laughs> so what I do with reviews now is yeah. I just don't read them. I get someone to read them for me. Like, so we have management, and so I get someone at the managers to read the reviews and then they tell me if there's a useful thing to put on the poster, and then I just act as if it hasn't happened. But when I started my show, I started my show at the Adelaide Fringe, and our manager, who is like, he's got like a laser brain for comedy, he came to my show, and then he came backstage afterwards and gave me half an hour of notes, and it was incredibly confronting. The show is called Hindsight, and the first thing he said was, your show's not about hindsight, it's about anxiety. And I was like, oh, in hindsight, I wish I hadn't called it hindsight. <laughs> It was really confronting to have this man who was so brilliant. All of the notes he gave me made my show so much better and it was a real spurring on thing to go, oh shit, I thought it was alright but it's not alright, it's okay but I can make it better yeah, and it was real motivating. It hurts to hear, it's, all, it's that taking a moment, yeah. like anything other than, it's perfect, don't change a thing, hurts straight away but it does make it better. Also think about all of those kids on like, yeah, Australia's Got Talent, who mm. really could have done with a bit of criticism. <laughs> kids but whoa, just take it aside doesn't have to be mean just i love it's you like, but your singing is shit you know yeah, when it's your own child though i think i don't know i don't have children but when it's your own child do you not think they can sing is that the i don't know either i don't have kids that i oh, know of hey that's an old joke that's right. <laughs> Somebody's leaving to tell their child their shit. And I think you've just, she's just got up and gone, right, I'll do it now. Well, I hope she's going to the loop. You know what? I've spent too many years listening to that banjo. It's awful. <laughs> it stops tonight. It's just, enough is enough. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In terms of feminism and criticism, <laughs> we get criticized by other feminists. We get criticized by people on the internet who don't like feminism at all. How can we be more constructive criticizers? Because I think, what's your goal? This is what you were saying before, Cal. If you're criticizing someone, yeah, yeah. What, what, what is outcome, outcome, do, you outcome want? do you want from that criticism? Like, are you wanting the person to do something better? Are you hoping to help them? Do you just want to fuck them off? Like, is it like is, is that you just want to fuck them? And that's <laughs> never the right way to criticize somebody. <laughs> no, no, that's necking, uh, isn't it? That's in the in the game. Worked a couple of times. Um, <laughs> that's, never, never. That's, no, that's necking. Necking is criticizing someone, sort of saying, oh. Why do you dress like that? You're so pretty. Yeah, my favourite early example of negging was me and my friend were out at a pub in Melbourne and we were over to audition for drama school that we didn't get into. Irrelevant, but I'm just telling you. Um, so a guy walked up to my friend Susan and went, I fucking hate your top. And she went, why don't you fuck off and stop looking at it then? And it was just the most perfect... <laughs> did, it, did that end? I can see that ending in sex, though. Right, cut, cut this. Seven words. This has got to be... Classic neck. This is the most incredible seven words that a person that I don't know has opened with. <laughs> Came up to me and went... You used to be beautiful, didn't you? Said <laughs> oh. that to I who? Me. To you. To me. To me. To but it, you. Was, it was amazing because it wasn't you're ugly. It was there was a time wow. when you had it, but it is not this day. It was pretty. It was amazing. My favourite pickup line that I ever got was along those lines, but I thought it was really funny. It didn't work, but I thought it was really funny. A guy walked up to me and went, "I'm not the best looking guy in the room, but I'm the only one talking to you." <laughs> Just opening line, just from nothing to these things. I was just standing at some club. Ugh, God, I hate club. Don't get me near tears. Come to me and So, are you desperate? I was like, excuse me? I was standing near the toilet and he thought I was in the queue for the toilet. He's like, no, oh, I meant, are you desperate to, to use the bathroom? I mean, do you need to pee? And I'm like, like, that's better. No. Like, we're going to be telling this story to our grandchildren one day and like, well, grandkids, that's right. One day your grandfather came over and he thought... Your grandmother really needed to pee and he pointed that out and the rest is history. Look, I, I looked at her and I could just tell that her bladder was bloated and I thought, hey, she is the woman with strong pelvic floor muscles for me. It's not wrong. But he still tells that story as well, like to himself every night as he can't sleep. Yes! He just lies in bed going, are you desperate? What was oh. I... That's his I carried a watermelon moment. My... <laughs> You did tell me that you think I'm dressed like I'm in Dirty Dancing. Yeah, I did. I but did. I, I said I wish I'd worn my Dirty Dancing dress. I had a Dirty Dancing dress and I just sort of thought, oh, I'll feel more comfortable. Because I do like watermelons, but I do not like Dirty Dancing. 
What? No, oh, it makes me feel... Oh, I, like, I like the good old days when you'd stand on the podium by yourself and you'd make eye contact with a guy and then meet in the alley. <laughs> None of this. None of this. What? No cha-cha? I'm from, no cha-cha. I am no from the podium era. I, am from, I went to an underage nightclub called Protein, which I only figured Protein? out 10 what? years later. It's now a mattress factory. Coincidence? Oh. I think I think mattress Protein. factory is a good Protein. name for a nightclub. It was spelled it was spelled mattress factory. <laughs> it was spelled protein like chicken. Like chicken has protein and the the O was an orange. Okay, do you want to hear the most humiliating thing that's ever happened to me? Yes. Oh my god, oh my god, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Go on. So you you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know what to look at me. So I, this is unusual that I'm in a dress, as you would know. Usually yeah. I live in jeans and a T-shirt. I'm a 15-year-old boy in the body of a 35-year-old woman, okay? Comfort is my dream, right? But there was a time when I was under it, like 16, because girls' school, there was a white miniskirts, crop tops, because you'd wear white because they had the black lights in there so you'd glow while you're on the podium, right? This is the... Oh. I know. It's the time... Uh, if I was to describe my current my wardrobe, it was a lot of mesh and dragons. <laughs> One night in protein, I was making out with some guy. Oh my god! And a security got a tap on the shoulder. <laughs> Turned around. Anyway, <clears throat> hands outside of pants, please. <laughs> what? <laughs> I am not explaining this to you, Deborah. <laughs> I don't know what happened. What happened, Carl? What happened? She was on a podium in a white skirt. Why is the, well, I'm, I'm confused also, Celia. So that, so... I wasn't wearing pants. Oh! That was outside of pants. So my hands were not outside of the pants where they should have been. They were, in fact, inside the pants. I said I was explaining it to in you, your... but I am. No. In his pants? Yes. So you had your Can someone get a whiteboard? <laughs> Wow. I'm not proud, okay? This is just early, it was the 90s. <laughs> oh, that, no, that does explain a lot. My, if you weren't in the 90s, oh, <laughs> it was an era. Just give us a shout if you were a child in the 90s. If you were too innocent to be with Celia in the 90s, just give us a cheer. <laughs> so you don't remember the 90s? No. You, you don't remember the 90s? No. What, how old, what, when were you born? 1997. <gasps> Stop it. <laughs> Get him! <laughs> graduate young man because I could be a very nice Mrs. Robinson for you. watch it and get back to me see here's the other thing as well like it's terrifying I'm glad like it's so much scarier now with like young people like sent with technology and sending oh, images so and stuff like scarier. we have to just do sketches of our boobs and send them to each other this will be it. this is a spoiler for my show as well but and I'm not proud of this as well but one time I <laughs> let a guy film something sexual I was 20 because you just and when I say so it's not a sex tape like there wasn't like storyboards and a tripod and shit what I'm saying is I dated a guy who had a phone right <laughs> but the good thing for me is that was like 10 years ago so and it's a Nokia the chances of that being any kind of high dev it's just going to be blurry shapes and like the sound of a oh. tiny dog crying nothing oh, you're fine on Nokia you're fine on Nokia because it won't be clear that it's you and like there's going to be unless you said cables. Cecilia Bacola right into the lens oh I shouldn't have done that should I <laughs> hi 
Hello, Guilty Feminists. It is Deborah. I am briefly interrupting your podcast listening to let you know that my film, Say My Name, is going to be screened in London on the 22nd of February at Film Fest International. If you would like to find out more, just go to filmfestinternational.com, 10 a.m. in the morning. It's an early one on the 22nd of February. And I think I'm going to be doing a Q&A afterwards, and I will certainly be there to have a selfie with you or sign your book. Say My Name is also going to be on in Blackpool at the Winter Gardens Festival on the 17th of March. So give that a Google to find out more details. On the 5th of March, I am going to be hosting the Stylist Remarkable Women Awards. I'm terribly excited about this. So if you go to stylist.co.uk, you can find out more about this. I believe you can nominate women and vote for them. And I will let you know more about this. Keep an eye on my Instagram feed, dfdubs, D-U-B-Z, and also at the Guilty Feminist Instagram feed. We will be touring around the country. I'll be coming around with some of your favorite guilty feminist co-hosts doing stand-up comedy and a big live guilty feminist tour with everything you love about it in big venues with lots and lots of fun songs, comedy, chat, everything that you love. It's not going to be recorded. It's not going to be a podcast. It's going to be one show that we tour around. And we've already let you know some of the dates. In our second week, we're going to be at Ipswich. Colchester, Richmond, and South End on Sea. That's on the 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th of May. There are dates from the 1st of May till the 30th of May all over the country. So check out our website, guiltyfeminist.com or ticketmaster.co.uk to find those dates. Come along, check it out. It's going to be a big, big celebration. Do not miss it. Global Pelage is back for another exciting season. We will be appearing live and recording the show on the 23rd and the 24th of March at 4pm at King's Place in King's Cross in London. It's our diversity-based comedy panel show. And you, the hive mind of the audience, get to play. Do not miss it. Go to kingsplace.co.uk to get tickets before they all go. Help refugees in Calais are in dire need of tents and sleeping bags. Please check out their website to find out how you can donate and get them there. As always, my book is available at Waterstones, Amazon and in all good bookshops. And if you would prefer that I read it to you because you enjoy the podcast, then it is available on Audible. Back to the podcast. that criticism is not just criticism from critics, but as a performer, I think of criticism as generally coming from someone who has been paid to tell me I'm shit. So uh, <laughs> I was thinking about all the criticisms that I've had in my life, not all from reviewers, but I was just going through the list of all the criticism that I've never forgotten. One piece was uh, when I was 17, we did a play at high school, and it was called The Insect Play, and me and my best friend were dressed up as Beatles, not like John, Paul, Ringo and George, but actual Beatles, and we had amazing makeup on, we had 
white face, but then a black border around our face and big red cheeks. And we gave our Beatles sort of northern accents from England because we wanted to make them sound really entertaining. And afterwards, the judge said it was entertaining, but would have preferred regional Kiwi accents. And the thing is, there's only one Kiwi accent, and this is it. Uh, Actually, that's not true. There are loads, but they all sound the same to you. So... uh, (laughs) The reason I remember that so clearly is when we washed our makeup off, we, uh, it was such cheap makeup that we'd had allergic reactions to it. And so when we washed our makeup off, we just had rashes in the shape of the makeup. So uh, for the whole week, we looked like Beatles, even though we had no makeup on. Uh, one time, my older youth group friends were getting sick of me cracking jokes all the time, and one of them said, you try to be funny 100% of the time, but you're only funny 80% of the time. <laughs> Which at the time mortified me, but now, as a professional comedian, I think that's quite a good hit rate. (laughs) Um, One time I was asked to emcee the big gay out in Brisbane, which I was so thrilled to be asked to do. It was a fantastic day. There were so many gorgeous uh, drag queens, and I felt disappointingly and underwhelmingly straight. And uh, I'd been picked up from the airport by a driver, and uh, with a car, excitingly, and... um, Uh, Sometimes, like, when you do a corporate gig, they send a car with a driver, and this time the driver had brought his wife with him, which you're not supposed to do, but that was okay. Hello, Frank. Hello, Robin. And uh, they dropped me off at the big gate, and they said, we'll be just here to pick you up afterwards. And I did the gig, and I tried my hardest, and it was crazy, and there was just lots of dancing and everything. And then when I got back into the car, the driver's wife went, well, we could hear everything. And when you got on stage, all we could hear was, like, you're not even supposed to be in the fucking car. What are you talking about? (laughs) Uh, My husband is a very beautiful man. He's very blunt. I uh, showed him a new top. It was kind of a peasant smock. I said, what do you think of my new top? He said, it's nice. It makes you look a bit pregnant. (laughs) Uh, To which I replied, does it? That's nice. Good to have had 20 minutes wear out of it before I throw it away. Um, My grandmother was quite a critical woman. Uh, She criticised me for being too clumsy, for not eating enough. She told me I was too short. My favourite two comments that she gave me, one was, it's wonderful that your parents can still be proud of you. (laughs) Uh, And once when I went back home, when I was in my mid-twenties and I had platinum blonde hair, I hadn't seen it for six months, and the first thing she said was, they told me your hair was the same colour as mine, but it's not. It's dirty white. (laughs) To which I replied, that's because all the guys I've been giving blowjobs to don't wash their hands. (laughs) I didn't, I didn't, but I had to do something to claw that back as a victory. Um, And there was a review that I got for a show I did 20 years ago. It was called Cal Wilson is the Antichrist. And it was about me being a born-again teenager. I was a born-again Christian. I saw the light and I switched it off because it was wasting electricity. (laughs) I did a whole lot of things. I talked about the Lord's Prayer and I rewrote it using audience suggestions. And I got a review that was so awful it made me cry for a week. Like I would get up in the morning, I would remember the review and I would just cry until it was time to go on stage. I looked for this online today, I couldn't find it, it's not online, but I do remember some of the lines. I remember uh, the one paragraph ended, something, 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 then descended into a hell where there are no laughs. Um, (laughs) Which wasn't true, other people were laughing except for this woman. Uh, And then she quoted a bunch of the best audience answers and said some of the punchlines were her own. It was absolutely vicious, it was a 
personal attack on me and uh, because the newspaper that she wrote it for was the sponsor of the comedy festival, they published a synopsis of the review every day for the rest of the week. So, uh, and the synopsis was even more distilled vitriol. And like, it was such an awful review. I had people stopping me on the street to go, what did you do to that reviewer? Like, I'd start each show going, has anyone seen the review? And everyone would go, yes. And I'd go, I don't know what I did to her. I must have accidentally fucked her husband. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it just destroyed me. It just killed me. And, like, I'm over it now. Like, I realised that it was more about her than it was about me. Happy people don't try and stop someone from doing the thing that they love. Like, she offered no constructive criticism. It was all just a takedown. And so when I was looking for the review online today, I was sort of... Uh, half disappointed, half glad that I couldn't find it. And then I found an article written by the reviewer about how she and her husband were unexpectedly made redundant a couple of years ago. And I didn't mind that at all. Um, now I thought what I would do, because there are great reviewers, like don't get me wrong. And I also know that no one cares about reviews except the reviewer and the person getting reviewed. Uh, and there are lovely reviewers, especially the ones that have come in tonight. Uh, they are so hot. Uh, so I thought what I would do is I would dissect the sort of reviewers that there are. So like a great reviewer doesn't necessarily give you a great review. They should definitely critique the show and you should know more about the show uh, than what they thought of it. I was thinking how difficult it would have been if like the Judeo-Christian God had created the world but had accidentally created a reviewer first. Uh, like, I, I don't know, maybe that's what happened. So maybe he made the first man and then he dropped him before he was fully dry. And then when he went to pick him up, he sort of stood on the head by mistake. And then um, even though he popped the head back into shape by blowing into the mouth, you know the way you can kind of pop a bottle out again? Like, sort of, like blew the head out again, but uh, there was still a wee crack in the back of the head and all the nice leaked out. Uh, sort of like the yellow leaking out of a cream egg. So that would be the first reviewer. Uh, and so... <laughs> If God had created the reviewer first, the review of the world might have gone like this. In the hands of another deity, the world might have been created much more efficiently. I quite enjoyed the set design and lighting, but frankly, it's six days, it dragged on. <laughs> also, why put the day of rest at the end? We could have done with an interval. <laughs> and then if he'd started reviewing God's animals, like duck, a waterproof hen, one star. <laughs> A hippo with a unicorn complex. Could improve its appearance by getting a skin that actually fits. One star. Sheep. Inside out self-propelling Ugg boot. One star. Starfish. One star. the art of reviewing by reviewing things that aren't comedy as if they were comedy so I thought maybe it would be um, it would be easy to review a chair rather than try like to literally be an armchair critic so I thought I would illustrate the, the different sorts of reviews that there are so there are the fair reviews that admit their bias so they, they would say something like I disliked this chair I am more into beanbags <laughs> to its credit though the rest of the audience loved the chair and could not stop sitting in it <laughs> I'm not its target demographic but if you enjoy chairs you will love this one then there are the positive, supportive reviews. I've watched this chair grow from a piece of raw wood to a plank, to a footstool, and finally to the armchair it was always meant to be. I look forward to next year's chaise lounge. And then there are the reviews that take issue with the fact that the chair is a chair. The chair disappointed with its use of stock standard forelegs, back and armrest. It's always great to see a chair that goes out of its way to have eight or nine legs. Or a hover pedal and uses video and social media. Well then there are the reviews that miss the point entirely. 
this chair is a shit table. <laughs> There's no way you could fit six people around it, let alone host a dinner party. <laughs> Work harder next time, chair. <laughs> then is the undercurrent of resentment review. I know a lot about chairs. I'm basically a chair myself. In fact, I'm a better chair than the chair I saw tonight. I am angry that the chair gets people to sit on it while all I can do is write about it. My head still hurts from where all the yellow leaked out. And you've got the inexperienced reviewer who's been seconded in because the proper reviewers are busy reviewing the rest of the furniture warehouse. Chairs. They're not as good as AFL. <laughs> then you get the inexperienced reviewers who are also prone to the spoiler. I loved this chair. It was for sitting on. The highlight was the surprise bit where it turns out the seat comes off the chair and turns into a cushion. There were also some great surprise cameos from other chairs, including secret guests, armchair, sofa and ottoman. <laughs> and then you have the personal prejudice reviewer. Chairs aren't funny. <laughs> All they talk about is periods. <laughs> I wanted on the record that I a number of times tried to get this conversation around to feminist critique. And if that didn't happen, do not address your tweets to me. I don't want any comments about the wristy in the underage nightclub in Ringwood East no. in the 90s. All right, I'm sharing that no, just I, with you. Do you want I'm that? not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I am ashamed, obviously I'm so ashamed. But I'm also not ashamed. I, you're, you're less ashamed than you are. What's funny about that is he's out there somewhere. Who's that guy? <laughs> he knows, he'll know. Celia, I want you to do this. I want. <laughs> like, I'm on TV sometimes. Like, the thought of him being in his house, it just like turns on the ABC. It's like, oh, that chick grabbed my dick. <laughs> Consensually. Consensually. Right, sorry. Yes. But what if it's. What if it's. Um, he doesn't recognise you until you, like, put your hand up near your face and he's like, ah! He, it. it might be only clear to him when you're under those iridescent lights. What, the ones that turn everything white, black and black, white, or whatever it is that it does. No. No. Um, can you do this in a character? <laughs> the only accent I could do is the super nanny, which will sound oh, racist in the no, UK. Won't it? Well, I mean, it'll be offensive. It's, it's not, do you remember it's... the super nanny? That your behaviour is unacceptable. No. Yeah. It's only going to be offensive to Listen, the super nanny. There's only had, one of her. No, okay. Here's a piece of criticism I rejected. I had somebody say, I was doing like a mock Australian accent, and someone wrote in and said, your anti-Australian rhetoric is getting worse, blah, 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 blah. You can't <laughs> and, and do you know what I said? I said, uh, both... No, I didn't say fuck you. I said, firstly, I'm a citizen of Australia and a citizen of Britain. Both Britain and Australia are developed nations who have rivalries, neither of them as countries are marginalised. If I were to be doing an accent in Australia of a marginalised people, that would be a problem. 
But the status between Australia and Britain is not one in which either is marginalised. There is a healthy back and forth. We do the ashes. So this is like <laughs> taking the piss out of a brother or a sister. And therefore, there is no oppression and there is no power imbalance. So I think you'll find that you just have no sense of humour. <laughs> I've just lost at least one fan because they're going to hear that and go feel really upset now. And listen, I love you, whoever you are. You were trying to do a good thing, but no. <laughs> okay, do Supernatural. Okay, okay. Oh, God. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> it's a really big night for me. Jeez. <laughs> Can I just say one reason why, the only reason I know how to do her accent is because I've found it really fun to make her say stuff that she wouldn't say, like, hit him. <laughs> Come down to their level, look him in the eye and give him some heroin. <laughs> Feminist on Twitter at guiltfilmpod. Come back, can't keep. All right, check out our Instagram. What? Instagram.com forward slash the guilty feminist. <laughs> Stop doing that. Get off that ladder, Carol. <laughs> Mum, what are you doing? Grab him. Like our Facebook page. Sign up to our mailing list to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. I'm now Dick Van Dyke, like earlier. Okay. <laughs> Please go to iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe. It helps other people find the podcast. Yeah! That is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Uh, anything to plug Celia Picola? Yeah, so I am doing a, a new stand-up show that is totally finished. Because um, <laughs> we're also writing Rose Heaven Season 3 right now. I'm spending a lot of time. I'm spending a lot of time with the red one. How great is this? Usually people go, oh, the redhead, Luke McGregor, the redhead or the nervous one. But the other day, someone went, where's the red one? I'm like, that is the best new nickname ever. <laughs> but my stand-up show is called All Talk. I think if you like this, you will like that. It's a lot of this stuff. It's called All Talk because the rest of that saying is all talk, no action. Like, that's a bad thing. Like, oh, you're all talk, no action. But talk is my action. It's like, oh, silly, she's all talk. Yes, good job. Um, but I'm hoping that talk is an important step on the way to action. So if you'd like to come to that, I was very much appreciate it. We would love to come to that. Carol Wilson, what have you got to plug? Um, I'm doing my show Hindsight, which is not <laughs> necessarily it, about hindsight. Do you know what I would have called it? What? 2020. But then people would think it was about the year 2020. Don't call it that. Call it Hindsight. It's or good. Cricket. <laughs> cricket. Oh, oh imagine oh. now. We've got a whole lot of guys in white trousers. <laughs> Don't let me hear it. Sorry. <laughs> Outside pants, please. <laughs> can you do that? Can you do that as your show title yeah. next year? Hands, hands outside, outside pants, pants, please. please. <laughs> Never forget it. Burned into my brain. Hands outside pants. Hands outside of pants, please. <laughs> Don't know what he looks like because I exploded. <laughs> Just into, not like that. Like into shame. Like my organs were so embarrassed to be with me, they tried to escape over that. So much more naive than you as a teenager, like because I was a good Christian girl at youth group, and I was 15, and I was going out with a 19-year-old. My parents wouldn't let me leave the property because they were adults and understood what was happening. And but I was so naive that he was kissing me goodnight on the porch one night, and he had his hand on the side of my uh, boob, and he was like rubbing his thumb on the side of my boob, and I was in my head going, "How embarrassing! He doesn't realise he's touching my boob." Oh. That's. Some beautiful naivety there. Yes. Was I in the middle of plugging something? My show Hindsight is on <laughs> at uh, the Brisbane Comedy Festival, the Sydney Comedy Festival, Perth and Melbourne. Go see it. Um, all right. 
So I'm going to do this, which is our out. Oh, before I do that, there is a charity. Who is the charity? I'm here from Fair Agenda. Uh, Fair Agenda is an online community that campaigns for a fair and equal future for women. We're 37,000 people strong and growing. We use our collective people power to win change on a whole bunch of different issues affecting women. Uh, in the past, we've campaigned and helped win um, additional funding for family violence services and stopped cuts to working parents' time to care for their babies. Uh, and right now we're campaigning on two big things. Uh, the first is to address sexual violence on university campuses, which we're doing in partnership with students and survivor groups, and also to end the criminalisation of abortion in Queensland. As somebody who left Queensland many years ago, is abortion still legal there? It's still in the Crimes Act laws from 1899, still in force. But there's going to be a vote later this year, which I is I apologise on behalf of my home state. Yeah. And, and also, please sign up to get involved in the campaigns, which you can do at fairagenda.org. Thank you very much, by the way. That was beautifully done. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Brunters-White, guest co-host Carl Wilson and our very special guest Celia Piccola. The producer was Tom Solinsky for The Spontaneity Shop and Jeff Ring for Australian Comedy Management. Thanks to everyone at the Malt House as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. which is, I'm so excited for it to come out. It hasn't come out yet, but I'm so excited. Oh, yes, there was a young, I'm excited. There was a young Melbourne uh, Sydney. woman. It was totally Sydney. Oh, it was Sydney. Sorry. <laughs> but when it comes down oh, to it, It was going so well. Melbourne. It was going so well. I've killed it. So if I come back to Melbourne, will you come to any more shows? No, no. Go to Sydney, bitch. Um, you like People it so much? I'm generally okay with it. I don't mind Sydney. Every time I go there, in my mind, it just goes, ah, put your shirt back on, Sydney. That's what I think. <laughs> Do you think Sydney's got its top off? Yeah. So this walking around all confident. Put it back on. Show some shame. <laughs> Melbourne has shame. Rug it up. Put a scarf on it. <laughs> Speaking of criticism. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. 
Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.